Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. We're wrapping up the month of June. Big crop report day today. We'll have complete analysis of the report coming up on tomorrow's program. Today, we will focus on dairy exports. We wrap up June Dairy Month. We'll talk with Krista Harden, President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We'll take a look at some key markets for U.S. dairy. We're also going to take a look at crop conditions across the country. Kevin Ross from Iowa, past president of the National Corn Growers Association, will give us a crop update in his area of Iowa. And we'll be talking with farm broadcaster Brian Winnikins with our affiliate WRDN in Durand, Wisconsin. We'll talk about weather and crop conditions in Wisconsin, as well as President Biden's visit to that state yesterday talking about infrastructure. Let's start things off there as we're joined now by Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thank you for joining us. A lot of uh, push now to get something done on infrastructure, but there's still a lot of uh, unknowns here, right, as we don't know what may come from this. We have different proposals out there. What's the latest you're hearing? Well, the latest, of course, is that President Biden went to Wisconsin yesterday to promote uh, the infrastructure program. The White House had originally billed this as an opportunity to talk about agricultural and rural economics, and Secretary Vilsack was supposed to accompany him. But then they changed the trip uh, to focus just on infrastructure, and Vilsack uh, didn't go. Uh, so that was, a, that was a bit of a surprise to, to start. Uh, and then, I, as I understand it, the big news out of the meeting is that he said there will be no increase in the gasoline tax. And so that's uh, uh, a big part of this. And also, I think it's the New York Times reported that he has said that this will be it for infrastructure, that there will not be infrastructure provisions in this second bill, which they talk about being about human infrastructure, that's probably going to go through only on Democratic votes. So it was kind of a it was kind of a big D big day. But the important thing is that that Biden is out there in the country trying to sell the idea, and apparently other the cabinet officers are going to be going fanning out around the country talking about it too. So. Uh, We'll have to see uh, how rapidly this campaign proceeds. And trying to get some clarity, because quite frankly, his rollout, his early announcement on infrastructure, uh, and then a kind of a change of course, it, it kind of confused things, made, kind of muddied the waters here. Yes. Uh, well, the, the confusion was about Biden saying that he wants this other uh, infrastructure bill, which includes things like uh, child care provisions, uh, and uh, then the Republicans said, wait a minute, we, never, we were never told these two bills had to move in tandem. And uh, so now that's, what's, that's, that's the controversy. Uh, and Biden later said, no, this sounded like I would veto this bill. That's wrong. I do plan to, uh, I plan to sign it. Uh, and uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of where we're at. 
The Senate is not in Washington this week, so we haven't heard much more from the senators about this, except that several senators went on the Sunday talk shows to Republicans and said they would support it, that they believed Biden's uh, pullback on the, on the linking. Uh, Senator Cassidy from Louisiana and Senator Romney. Uh, but, of course, they have to get 10 Republicans to support it in order for the bipartisan bill to go through. So we'll see where that goes. And as you said, the uh, the administration now kind of putting a full court press on to try to get that passed. Uh, President Biden's also going to be talking with Western state governors about the draft in the West. Yes, that's that's today. So we really don't know uh, what can come out of that. Uh, we, of course, here, you know, they're just terrible here in Washington. Uh, only We only know about it from a distance, but these terrible stories about how hot it is in Seattle and in Portland, Oregon, and and obviously the the drought that surrounds that, and the, and the I think at this point it's more a fear of fire, forest fires than it is actual fires. But we'll see if the if the administration comes up with anything in particular about this today. Of course, this is uh, uh, causing an uh, for, for the for the people who are concerned about climate change. This is bolstering their argument that climate change is happening. Just as the condo situation in Florida uh, with that building that collapsed, that is, that is causing more of a focus on infrastructure. So, uh, you know, we kind of have a, a political movement on both of these issues here. All right, so we're going into the July 4th weekend. What do we see in Congress? What's kind of the schedule after the holiday? Well, okay, so they will be out, both houses will be out next week. And so then they will come, they will come back and they are expected to be in session until about the 1st of August. The Senate might be in a little longer, which they often, uh, often are. And I think they'll be debating uh, this, this infrastructure, but not debating it on the Senate floor, but we're hoping for a legislative proposal Although there's a lot of talk that that neither this bill nor the human infrastructure bill would actually get passed until the uh, until sometime in September, uh, the other issue going forward, of course, is this grow, growing climate solutions bill, which passed the, the uh, House or the excuse me passed the Senate last week with 92 votes. Now the question is whether something will happen in the House. Uh, where uh, uh, Congresswoman Spanberger and Cong- from Virginia and Congressman Bacon, a Republican from uh, Nebraska, have introduced the bill, and there is there is support for it. But Glenn Thompson, the highest-ranking Republican on the House Ag Committee, says he's opposed opposed to it. Uh, for the most part, that's not considered a very a terribly controversial bill. That got 92 Senate votes. So we'll have to see if they move on this now in the uh, in the House uh, in July. Yeah, a lot of proposals, a lot of um, things that are possible, but we haven't really seen major action yet in Congress. So do you think this, what, after, sometime in July leading into August, we'll get a major vote, a major move on one of these bills? Well, it depends on whether you consider the growing climate solutions bill a major uh, a major mm-hmm. move. Uh, there are some people who think it doesn't amount to all that much. Although establishing a system in USDA to certify carbon would be important, uh, even if uh, 
we don't know exactly how the carbon markets are going to work. It would definitely be a step uh, a step forward. So we might get something on that, but I wouldn't expect the infrastructure bill until the fall. Until the fall. Okay, we'll watch that. And again, thanks a lot, Jerry. Have a good holiday, and we'll talk to you next week. Yes, I look forward to that. Have a good Thank holiday. Thank you. Jerry Hagstrom. You bet. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. So, yeah, the administration pushing hard on infrastructure. That was the emphasis of the president's visit to La Crosse, Wisconsin yesterday. We'll have more on that a little bit later on in the program. But up next, we'll talk crop conditions in Iowa. Kevin Ross, former president of the National Corn Growers Association, joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. My name is William Yank. I'm a 23-year-old, three-time leukemia survivor. Leukemia Lymphoma Society was this unforeseen blessing for me because I wouldn't have been able to get CAR T cell therapy. Ways that I advocate for cancer is probably mostly through my podcast and my Instagram or TikTok. It's so vitally important that we have the Leukemia Lymphoma Society on our side. To give or get help, visit lls.org. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, president of the National Corn Growers Association, John Linder. How do you feel about how the Biden administration is dealing with the biofuels industry? Do you think they're fully supportive? Uh, And again, the statement we just heard from uh, Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters that the Biden administration is not a fan of liquid fuels. How do you feel about that? I'd have to say that perspective would disappoint me. I believe that they are listening to us and they want to find a path forward. And, you know, corn ethanol checks so many boxes. I think it's a great story. And I think the opportunity to recognize that it fully fits the climate strategy today it, and it will only get better going forward. And so that's our, our effort of advocation for our corn farmers is so critical to the demand base for corn, right? And the farmers really need us to help provide that stability, that certainty, so the next generation has a place in agriculture as they desire. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. 
Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Yeah, we're joined now by Kevin Ross, former president of the National Corn Growers Association, as we check crop conditions in his state of Iowa. Good to talk with you again, Kevin. Uh, I guess maybe the phone doesn't ring quite as much. You don't have people like me bugging you all the time now that uh, you're not president of corn growers? <laughs> yeah, it slowed down just a little bit, Mike, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, enjoyed the time and, and you know, hope we, uh, you know, hope we re- represented the growers in the industry well. Yeah, you did, and this is kind of like old times talking again. Well, again, uh, so much of the focus right now has been on weather and, and, and crops and their conditions. We've heard about problem areas in Iowa. Tell us where you are in Iowa and how do things look in your area? Yeah, so Southwest Iowa is home for me, just uh, just outside the Council Bluffs and Omaha, Nebraska area. Um, and, and really... You know, we've caught some very timely rains here in the last couple of weeks, um, some nice showers. In fact, uh, uh, a lot of pop-up stuff here recently, and um, I've caught up a lot. We were very, very short coming into the year, uh, but, but man, we've, uh, you know, we've gotten to, to a place right now where the crops look really, really good in our area. Um, and so, you know, certainly from a moisture standpoint, can't complain too much. We were showing some stress uh, uh, here a couple weeks ago, like everybody else, I think, with that early heat. Um, certainly, you know, feel for a lot of guys that haven't been catching these rains uh, across the U.S. because I know there's still a lot of areas that are uh, that are very drought stricken. But uh, very fortunate right now for us in our area. Missed a lot of the bad stuff. I know some of that's kind of been around too. But uh, overall, we look really, really good right here in Southwest Iowa. Well, good. We got we have places with too much rain and places with too little rain. So it's good to hear someone that's uh, about right, right in the middle. Uh, so crops look good. Did, were there many acre shifts in your area uh, this year? As we wait to see what USDA says on acres this year, uh, what about in your area, Kevin? You know that's a good question, Mike. And I and I really don't think there's been a lot of acre shift uh, from from what uh, we were seeing and, and hearing, just talking to guys. Um, and even around the country, a lot of the guys that I've talked to, it didn't seem like there's a lot of folks, uh, changing, uh, you know, changing rotations. Um, we'll certainly see what USDA says, but, uh, you know, but in the conversations that I've had, it, it, it seemed like that price spread between corn and soybeans wasn't, wasn't driving that change in acres like it, it has in the past sometimes. So, um, again, I, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe my conversations were just with the wrong people, but, uh, uh, but it'll still be interesting to see what USDA says. I think, um, uh, you know, we're getting a, a definitely a better handle on where we're at in this crop, and uh, it's it's definitely looking good right, right here where I'm at, for sure. We're talking with Kevin Ross in southwest Iowa, past president of the National Corn Growers Association. So you're getting moisture. You, your uh, crops are looking good. Any disease or insect or other issues popping up so far? You know, not too bad right now. Uh, a lot of guys are, are starting to think about those fungicide applications. We're, uh, you know, starting to, 
to, to think about tasseling in, in some of that early corn. I think uh, the next you know week or two, you'll start to see some things shooting. Uh, uh, I've seen some pictures of some guys that had some some tassel shooting different areas. Haven't seen haven't seen any yet yet myself, but uh, um, we're getting in that that spot where where guys are really considering the fungicide applications and and what they're going to do there if they haven't figured it out already. Uh, from a disease aspect, uh, you know, and an insect pressure, not a lot of that at the at the moment. Um, it seems like we've been been fortunate uh, throughout that. I know there were some. Uh, some issues in some alfalfa early on from from guys with some bugs, but uh, uh, just starting on second cutting type stuff in our area too. So uh, a lot of grass hay getting cut and, and uh, those along those lines. But other than that, I think uh, you know again just crop overall uh, in in southwest Iowa here, even on the river bottom, Mike. That's uh, you know up and down the Missouri River. I, I was up uh, Interstate 29 here just recently, and and uh, I'd have to say that the Missouri River bottom looks about as good as I've ever seen it from top to bottom. Good. Um, I know that even though you're no longer president of uh, corn growers, uh, you keep up on the issues and follow them. And certainly you're watching what's going on with uh, with biofuels. And we just had the Supreme Court ruling on the RFS waivers. Uh, your thoughts on that and, and where we stand right now with biofuels, you think? Yeah, there's definitely disappointing to see, you know, to see that ruling from the Supreme Court. Uh, uh, but there's there's also other pieces of the RFS that uh, you know that were not challenged and and that you know that uh, refiners have to go through some hoops to get those uh, exemptions. So those are still in place. Um, you know the the biggest one I think is that they have to show that uh, their economic hardships are directly related to the RFS. And I think that's a very difficult uh, uh, task for most of them. I know they certainly want to. Um, you know, they want to complain about it, but, uh, but for them to demonstrate that it's actually the RFS that's causing them to, to have a business that's not working, um, is, is a much different story. And so, you know, as we move forward into it, I, I hope that keeps, uh, you know, keeps the exemptions limited. Um, you know, there's, there's other things again with, the uh, with the continuity factor that they, you know, certainly, uh, ruled on and, um, it, that definitely was disappointing, but but as it stands, you know the RFS is still a very good policy, and uh, we we like to have more wins than losses, but sometimes that's not the case. And uh, in this particular uh, this particular issue was you know was one we didn't come out on top on on the, on the Supreme Court, which uh, uh, it stinks when you win it in the lower court court and you thought you were gonna um, have a pretty good chance there too. So um, you know that's. Uh, that's what it is, and that's what we keep fighting for every day. Though are our policies like this, and making sure that uh, you know that we're we're fighting on behalf of what we think's right. Yeah, you got the lower court victory, but really had it for a year and, and didn't really get all the benefits of it because uh, everything was uh, kind of waiting for that Supreme Court ruling. And as you said, disappointing, but uh, not all bad news. But are you concerned about this emphasis on electric vehicles, and what do you think that means moving forward for the ethanol industry? You know, I, I am concerned about it from a long-term aspect, and, and really what it means for uh, you know for the country, and 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 really from a basic uh, infrastructure standpoint, we've got. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, electricity is a, a you know a key part of our infrastructure in general and across the United States. But uh, if we go that route, it's going to create a, a a whole new level of infrastructure needed that is. Um, it, you know, it's it's a good direction to head for the country because we're going to use a lot of electricity in the future as well. But uh, but I would say that that EVs and the focus on EVs, um, 
you know, it's got a lot of challenges ahead of it. And I think biofuels have a very, very strong place in the future of, uh, you know, the fuels, uh, you know, mix in the U.S. And, uh, and I think liquid fuels have a great story to tell when it comes to the carbon intensity scores and things like that that these uh, – uh, that the environmentalists are trying to solve. And so, um, you know, these folks are advocating for, you know, for low carbon fuels. And the fact is we've got them today. We're ready to, you know, ready to continue to solve the problems that are out there that, uh, that they're concerned about. I just, you know, we just need to get, uh, get a few more people to listen and, and, uh, understand the, the qualities of biofuels and, and what they can do to help shape the environmental side of, of, uh, you know, the U S policy. You mentioned carbon. What are your thoughts as a farmer on, uh, carbon sequestration, carbon banking, carbon markets, and opportunities for farmers. You know, we've got a lot of things in that area, Mike, that are, um, you know, that are definitely uh, opportunities for for farmers. I think uh, uh, we absolutely are, a, you know, are a solution to to a lot of the things that again they're trying to solve and the and the uh, carbon issues that are out there, but. Um, you know, we've got to look at these things through, you know, through a, a, a very open-minded lens and make sure that we're, you know, looking at the uh, the plans and policies uh, that'll benefit the landowner and 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 the, and the grower and make sure that, uh, you know, that these pieces are not going to hamstring, uh, you know, hamstring us from the job that we're out there to do in general, which is growing corn and soybeans and, and the grains that are, uh, you know, that are going to be successful to, to uh, uh, sustain our country. And so, I think, um, you know, a lot of things to consider as we move forward in these carbon markets, but uh, is there an opportunity? Absolutely. Do we need to be vigilant about, you know, about the policies and how they're going to be structured and what, you know, what the opportunities are for farmers? Uh, for sure, because uh, these things are uh, complicated, and, and we got to make sure that, uh, you know, that we don't get, you know, in, in the wrong direction on these things. And, um, you know, the, the term carbon farming sometimes very much scares me. I think it, it uh uh, I'm a corn farmer and a soybean farmer, and and uh, can I sequester carbon when I'm doing those things? Absolutely. So, uh, I, I you know I like to separate the two a little bit, although they go hand in hand. We just got to make sure we're we're looking at the policies and and uh, what they may mean for the grower. Kevin, good to talk with you again, and glad to hear crops are looking good in your area. Have a good rest of the year, and hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Hey, appreciate it, Mike, and uh, best to you and uh, all the listeners out there. It's uh, good to be on, and appreciate the time today. All right, take care. Kevin Ross, farms in southwest Iowa, past president of the National Corn Growers Association. All right, coming up a little bit later on, we'll learn more about uh, President Biden's trip to Wisconsin yesterday and what he uh, talked about concerning infrastructure. And uh, coming up next, though, we are going to talk about U.S. dairy exports. We will talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Krista Harden joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A gentle breeze blows across your face as you take a refreshing sip of water, appreciating the stillness of another morning fishing on the lake. The distant gurgle of a stream reminds you of days spent playing in the creek, the cool, clear water rushing between your toes. You love this time with nature, the feeling of putting everything on hold to connect with the world around you. Now, 
Imagine it's all gone. No fish, no lake, no water. One of life's most vital resources, irreplaceably depleted. Time is running out to protect fresh water, and without our love, it can and will disappear. It's our choice. Love it or lose it. Help protect our fresh water. Visit World Wildlife Fund at wwf.org love. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Today, the USDA's acreage and stocks report will be released. There is a large uncertainty over how much the USDA will adjust their acreage numbers from the March intentions report. The average trade estimate is for the USDA to increase its corn acreage by 2.6 million acres and increase its soybean acres by 1.4 million acres. In today's report, spring wheat acres expected to decline 300,000 acres from the March intentions. Uncertainty over the USDA's spring wheat numbers may explain the volatile Minneapolis wheat market. On the Board of Trade, September corn trading 15 and three quarters lower at 5.43 and a half cent. The December contract down 17 and three quarters at 5.30 and three quarters. For soybeans, the August contract down 16 and a fraction at 13.23 and a half cent. November down 15 and a fraction at 12.97 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat September down nine and a fraction at 6.37. Kansas City wheat September down nine and three quarters at six. 17 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat September down six and three quarters at 808 and a fraction. The July contract down a penny at 820. The livestock market is expected to trade with the acreage and quarterly stocks report today. The results may have an influence on cash cattle activity and feeder cattle futures. Hog futures may continue to rebound from the oversold status despite the weakness of cash. August live cattle down 47 at 121.45. October trading 85 cents lower at 126.90. For feeder cattle, the August contract up 15 at 157.60. September up 22 at 160.02. In lean hogs, the August contract down 82 at 102.80. October down 77 at 86.97. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 124 points. The Nasdaq composite down 28. The S&P 500 up to crude oil in New York. August up 57 cents at 73.55 per barrel. The U.S. dollar index is trending higher. This is AOA. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, our next guest is someone I've known and interviewed for many, many years in, in different uh, capacities, uh, different stops along her career. Krista Harden, President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Krista, good to talk with you again. I think I first met you and first interviewed <laughs> you, I think, when you were the, with the American Soybean Association several years ago. Yes, Mike, I think you're right. And it was um, several, several years ago. So it's great to be with you again. Well, congratulations on your new position as president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. As we wrap up June Dairy Month, uh, exports have been a bright spot for dairy. They really have. It is exciting times. You know, we are getting our, our numbers for May, the end of this week. So I can really only speak up to April, but um, it's it really has made a difference, I think, for dairy farmers and dairy processors and exporters. Um, things are looking pretty good. They really are. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the challenges in a bit, but let's talk about some of the uh, the successes you're enjoying. What are some of the, the key markets where we're seeing uh, growth and good export numbers? You know, just a few years ago, the dairy industry really tried to, to diversify our footprint. And, you know, Mexico is still so keen. It's a great partner. It's close by and we certainly you know consider Mexico a very important market for dairy products but we also recognize we really need to diversify and you know investments have been made and our, our folks are really interested in looking at places like Southeast Asia which has really really paid off especially last year during the pandemic it was just a portfolio that really helped us kind of mitigate risk like we all we all encountered last year um, North um, Africa in the Middle East is another area that's exciting that's coming um, on um, the Americas. We talk only not only about Mexico, but Central America and South America. So really looking at the globe totally. Um, I think I, I mentioned something else to you, Mike. We um, actually opened a, you know an office in Singapore. Um, Tommy might have been great because it was during the pandemic, but it really kind of sent a message to the world that U.S. is here. We're taking exports seriously, and we opened this center for um, dairy excellence. And I think we're just we're showing that that balanced approach is going to make a difference for our industry. I know that uh, your predecessor Tom Vilsack uh, had really put an emphasis on uh, getting uh, a stronger uh, hold into that uh, Chinese market. Where do we stand with dairy exports into China? Well, yeah, I call way um, the workhorse because our numbers there going into China are just still stay very, very strong. And I think we'll continue that for some time. We would love to diversify that portfolio going into China, and I hope that we can do that. That's another area of focus for our members, um, for our companies, thinking about how do we take advantage of that population who is learning more and more about dairy and the benefits of dairy they want dairy, and we know we have good products that we can sell them beyond way. We want to keep the way market. Don't misunderstand me. We just want to expand into other products as well. We're talking with Krista Harden, president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. You talked about the pandemic. Uh, we know it was challenging to be able to do much uh, market development work during the pandemic, and as we are coming out of it to, to varying degrees around the world, uh, how is that going now and getting back up and going again uh, in some of these markets? You know, Mike, you're, you're so true. Everybody had to pivot. We had to really think about how we're going to do things differently. Um, we are not going to trade shows. We're not having the you know face-to-face, -face, getting to know, building that trust, working on that reputation, helping folks on the ground see you know who we are and what we're offering. 
so all of us, I think, in the industry and across agriculture really had to think differently, approach um, um, quickly. I'm, I'm pretty proud of how quickly we changed and started working with folks, some of us with Zoom, some of us with other types of, you know, cooking demonstration programs, working with students, culinary students, doing our programs, developing partnerships um, in a virtual way, but being constant, staying in that market, saying, hey, we're going to come out of this. We're here now. We're going to be here beyond um, this, this crisis, and it, it did pay off. Folks were cooking at home, eating more at home. They, you know, just like we were here, you saw that around the globe. Um, you hit on something, Mike, I should mention also that it is an unbalanced approach on recovery around the world. We're meeting the needs of our various customers around the globe. It's, a, it's been a challenge because whether it's dairy or corn or soybeans or whatever it may be, when you're developing markets, so much of it is a, a relationship, a trust mm -hmm. that you develop with uh, your, your trading partners, and that became more challenging when you couldn't have all <laughs> the face-to-face -face meetings, right? It really did. You know, I, I'm old school. I, you know, I want to look somebody in the eye. I want to chat with them. I want to know, you know, get to know them a little bit. And that is, you can do it over, you know, the internet and a Zoom call, but there is something missing. So we really had to work hard at making sure that we kept our friends close. We talked to our customers. We communicated as often as we could in any method that made sense. And for emerging markets and places that were just learning about the really the, the strong benefits of U.S. dairy, we just had to double down and make sure we're providing information, we're doing the education. We spent a lot of time, maybe more time than we would have otherwise, because it takes a while to you know earn that trust. You're exactly right in the respect, but you also the proof is in the product. Once they try U.S. dairy and they see how value products that we have, how good they are. That also helps, I'll tell you, that helps, you know, build a reputation and that image that we're trying to, to provide across the, across the world. Okay, let's take a look at some of the uh, markets where we have challenges, certainly. Well, there are challenges, I guess, in every market, but some more than others. <laughs> Canada Canada is an ongoing issue. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's the latest there as far as tr us trying to get the, the market access? We thought we were going to get uh, with USMCA and still trying to get uh, right now for our dairy products. Well, we were very pleased when um, our U.S. You know, trade office did say, you know, hey, you know, Canada's not honoring um, the commitments made in the USMCA. And so with that process is moving forward. It's a more rapid process because we're dealing with a perishable product. So hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have some resolution. You know, it's not a huge market for the U.S. It could be much better. And we certainly want to make sure that any agreement that we go into is honored by all sides. So keeping the pressure on, calling this out to say, hey, Canada, you've got to live up to your side of the agreement. I do hope by end of year we'll have some resolution. What about the European Union? We have ongoing issues with them as far as the who has who can use the names of certain cheeses and <laughs> things like that. Uh, where does that stand? Well, it would continue. You know, it's not just cheese; it's other products. We work in a, a larger coalition to make sure that these issues are resolved. Um, thank goodness that we are, you know, pulling together in U.S. agriculture that we can find this common ground to to say, hey, look, wait, you know, you, this does not make sense. So we're continuing that fight as well. As, as you mentioned in, in your question, there, there are 
different kinds of issues almost in every market. So it's a constant kind of effort to make sure that we stay focused. We work with others who have same problems, like with the identification issues, the geographic identification issues, and work together to make sure that we remedy these problems for, for U.S. agriculture. Krista, as, as you look to not only to the rest of this year but beyond, what is your vision for U.S. dairy when it comes to exports around the world? I think we're positioned to keep growing. We're about, at least the numbers coming out in um, April, around 18% of production is being exported. We're going to continue that push. Um, you know, we, we often say that the world needs U.S. dairy and U.S. dairy needs the world. We have great products. Our farmers are so productive. They're so efficient, have very high-value products that we need, to, you know, the pop, to send to the population. It's not in the U.S., right? The growth is outside of the U.S. So we want to make sure that we continue to be that source of choice um, for dairy around the world. And I, I'm just really optimistic about what we're doing, seeing how we responded during a crisis, how we're going to continue to push continue to grow, to continue to diversify our footprint um, around the globe. So I, I, I feel great about it. I'm very excited about what's, what's to come. You talked about the different markets you're working in, um, and they're all important, obviously. But is that Southeast Asia region, is that the key area? Would, would you say that's uh, kind of a, a top-of-the-list priority for, and where we could see a, a more, even more growth this coming year? Yes, it, it really is. Um, it, it is a, a big focus for us. Um, right now, the equivalent of one day's production of U.S. milk per week goes into dairy products and ingredients that are sold overseas. And Southeast Asia, it accounts for about one day per month. So we're already seeing it being a, a big market for us. I think the opportunities are there. You look at places like... Um, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Vietnam, just great opportunity there. And we're focused there. We're working closely with them. Even during the pandemic, we were able to you know, work very closely, get our products in there, and work on you know, how do we expand. So we're excited about Southeast Asia. I think it has a lot of opportunity. It's kind of you know sitting right there for us to to go be that source of choice. I love to say that phrase because there are a lot of other choices out there. We want to be the main one that these countries are choosing. Krista, good to talk with you again. And again, congratulations on uh, the new position here as president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We look forward to talking again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Always good to chat with you. Happy Fourth of July. Take care. Krista Harden, president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Up next, we'll talk more about the president's trip to Wisconsin yesterday. We'll talk with farm broadcaster Brian Winnikins from our affiliate WRDN in Durand, Wisconsin, and uh, the reaction he's hearing from folks, especially in agriculture, to the president's visit. And we'll talk about crop and weather conditions in the state of Wisconsin as well, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? 
Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. What do you think about this grant program? Well, this is great news. It's always cool to see something that we've engaged on here in Washington and worked on come to fruition and start to bear fruit for our producers around the country. At the height of COVID last year, there was a lot of conversation about processing capacity and how we could empower some of these smaller plants around the country. Yeah, I think that's the key thing here, the key takeaway. You have said that this grant money will help ensure that we're not just making big plants bigger, but expanding capacity in those smaller independent facilities. That's the name of the game. Everything we're working on back here right now is focused on delivering those resources to the ground. At the margins that we're all familiar with, with the big four, if they want to add more capacity, they've got the checkbook to do it. We want to empower other market participants, and and we think that's where the federal government can help through some of these programs, and that's where we're putting our focus. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, 
and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. So the president traveled to La Crosse, Wisconsin yesterday to push infrastructure. We thought he might be talking about a few more things, including more ag issues and topics, but uh, he focused on infrastructure, which certainly agriculture um, has a great interest in and uh, would like to see a lot of things done. Let's talk about the uh, president's trip to Wisconsin. Our guest now is Brian Winnikins from our affiliate WRDN in Durand, Wisconsin. Brian, good to talk with you. Uh, I know that uh, originally you thought maybe Secretary Vilsack was coming, maybe there were going to be a lot of ag topics discussed, but it kind of got pared down to just primarily infrastructure, right? Uh, that's correct, Mike. Um, last Thursday, when uh, the uh, visit was at least first released or announced with no other details, it was um, that the president was going to be visiting along with Secretary Vilsack to talk about uh, agriculture issues and the rural economy, um, and that there was going to be the possibility of uh, the president was going to be at a couple of farms up on St. Joseph Ridge just uh, to the uh, east of La Crosse. And then everything kind of went quiet. Uh, we didn't hear anything over uh, the Friday or Saturday or Sunday. And, and it was on Monday that we started to hear some rumors that, well, this might be changing. And it wasn't until late Monday afternoon that we uh, found out it was just going to be the president. He was just going to be uh, going to lacrosse, And it was just going to be about infrastructure. Did Wisconsin ag leaders get to talk with the president? Yes, um, uh, the uh, president of the Wisconsin uh, Farm Bureau had a chance to uh, briefly meet with the president. Um, so did uh, the president of the Wisconsin Farmers Union, uh, Darren Von Ruden. I had a chance to talk with uh, Darren uh, here uh, uh, yesterday after the uh, visit. Uh, it was uh, more of just a brief, you know, you should get to shake the president's hand. You talk a few things pretty quickly, and then he, he moves on down the line. So he did talk a little bit about uh, the uh, the consolidation in the uh, meatpacking industry and in agriculture and about some of the concerns they have with the uh, antitrust rules. And he also said to the president, we really hope that uh, you can come back and uh, actually visit a farm. So how did his infrastructure message overall go over? How was it received in Wisconsin? I think it was received, for those that were in attendance, it was received uh, okay. Um, I, I think people, you know, there was a lot of things in there that uh, folks that were in attendance uh, agreed with or, or things that were to be needed. He did uh, briefly mention uh, farmers and, and agriculture in regards to high-speed broadband Internet and then the need for that. Um, and I, I think overall it was it was 
taken and people were, were acceptable with what he had to say. Um, what, what are the thoughts about where the administration may be going on energy? Uh, the big push to electric vehicles, a lot of concern about where does that leave renewables like ethanol and biodiesel. Uh, what are you hearing in Wisconsin? Not really too much. There's, there's been, there is a concern about the RFS. Uh, there's concern, you know, is this going to be changed again? Are we going to have all of these new uh, refinery waivers? There is some concern about the electrification um, of vehicles and all of that. But some folks are still a little bit skeptical on how this would really work. And, and as just a, a, an average citizen myself, uh, you know, speaking on my opinion of that, I'm not sure the president mentioned in his speech about 5,000 or so electric charging stations. In talking with those that have electric vehicles, even at a high-speed charge, it's going to take about 20, 25 minutes to fully charge back up. I just don't see going to a local service station, um, especially on the Internet or on the interstate, rather, how many of these charging stations are you going to need so that, you know, and you still have to wait 20 minutes. I mean, I've been in line at a gas pump off the interstate on a busy place. So there's some skepticism on that, and, and there's still some hope that, you know, renewable fuels are going to play a role in this. To, to get you know from where we are now to complete electrification, but even some folks are like, okay, you know, putting in these charging stations as part of infrastructure is a great idea, but why don't we include blender pumps for ethanol and, and, and biodiesel as part of that infrastructure package too? How are crops looking in Wisconsin? What's your weather like? We we keep hearing about uh, you know some dry areas of Wisconsin, what are conditions like? Um, that The drier areas are to our north, in, in northern and northwest Wisconsin. For us here in the immediate western Wisconsin, a region around the Durand area, we've received some beneficial rains. We had the, quote, million-dollar rain on Saturday. Our crops are looking uh, good even on the, the, the sandier soils as well. The, the, the first cutting of alfalfa here in western Wisconsin went quite well second crop is underway now farther south into southwestern Wisconsin. They've received in, in some areas too much rain. Crawford County actually over the weekend received 12 inches of rain, so they've had a lot of uh, washouts and, and that sort of thing. There was some severe weather in, in uh, east central Minnesota up to golf ball and softball size hail. That did cause some damage, and that was a few weeks ago. We're wrapping up uh, June Dairy Month. I'm sure you've been busy with uh, a lot of special activities uh, and observance of this month. And uh, how are things going for your dairy producers? If they're going well. Um, we've seen an increase in per production per cow. Again, we had a pretty good uh, first cutting of uh, alfalfa here in western Wisconsin. Uh, and, and, you know, things are, are, are going okay. There's a lot of talk about the uh, milk market order, the uh, producer price differentials that hit last year about how can we change that, and so there's, there's some interest in that, but so far things are going good, and, it, and Mike, it is, it, it's amazing what a difference a year makes. Last year during June Dairy Month, I had one event, and that was a drive-through dairy breakfast for Pepin County. This year I had uh, four dairy breakfasts and another drive-through dairy breakfast uh, in Dunn County that uh, happened in our area, so it's amazing what a difference a year makes. Brian, good to talk with you, and thanks for the uh, report on the president's visit and on conditions there in your state of Wisconsin. Good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Have a good 4th of July. You too, Mike. Take care. Brian Winnikins from WRDN, our affiliate in Durand, 
Wisconsin. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Of course, a big report day. The numbers we've been anticipating for some time from USDA on stocks and certainly on acres. We'll have a lot of analysis of that coming up for you tomorrow and uh, and the rest of the week for, for that matter because there'll be a lot to uh, react to in these USDA numbers. As I said, much anticipated. Plus, we'll keep you up to date with what's going on in Washington, D.C. with proposed legislation. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.